0: You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was Add 10 Gallons? Add 10 Gallons? My first thought was, we got to put oxygen (laughs) on it. Yeah, great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Truck's
2: Truck's on the way. (laughs) On the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay, I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out. (laughs) 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 Which are like most of my observations are.
0: There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits.
2: Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by ActiGel 208. ActiGel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now, in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, ActiGel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, ActiGel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let ActiGel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at acti That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L dot com.
3: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode thirteen of the Add Ten Gallons Concrete Podcast. We've been away; uh, it's been about a month, and we appreciate you guys being patient for the next episode. We've been busy; um, we've been busy with all kinds of different things, all kind of good things. So let's check in with the guys. Paul, what's going on? Oh man, I'm so happy to be
0: back. Uh, today is a celebration day, and we will all celebrate together.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, that's some dang fortunate. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Uh Joey, Joey, you doing all right? What do you want to talk about before this dude starts talking about foosball? Oh, like it's uh it's
2: thirty-seven days till Tennessee turkey season. That's what we're counting down over here. That's but that doesn't calling. matter
0: because Alabama won the national championship.
3: <laughs> and we should all celebrate. How
0: long can I talk about this?
3: I mean, yeah, I mean it's just as much your show as it is mine. But anyway, uh Joey, what about <laughs> that turkey season? Boy, well, you ready? <laughs> yeah, man, I'm ready. I got
2: my calls on my desk here. i got I got shotgun shells laying everywhere, my guns laying in the floor. Let's see what else I got laying around here. Uh, that's about it for right now, but I've usually got junk strode everywhere uh, for the next month and a half, and uh, it'll be like that for a good while. and my truck will be packed full of stuff in
3: April and the first half of May, so, there you go. It, it's funny, man. You you describe stuff laying everywhere as being ready for turkey season. Meanwhile, for my racing season, it starts in about 30, 35, 40 days depending on mm-hmm. when and where you want to race, but I got stuff everywhere myself and that means I am nowhere close to ready.
2: So. Yeah, that's about how it is. I've kind of noticed that, you know, since we've known each other, when we get to talk about racing and hunting, it's all the same stuff. You just like plug different words in like, Oh, I've got junk laying everywhere. I spent my paycheck on this stupid crap, you know, the other day. Uh, my wife hates me for the next, you know, six months out of the year and she's annoyed with me the other half. It's all the same. It's all the same. Yeah.
3: You're speaking to my soul now. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it, man. That's exactly it. You just, uh, it's like ad ad libbing. Is that mm-hmm. what they were? Mad lib? Ad when? Yeah. Yeah. It's like ad libbing. You just insert overly expensive item here. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. But what your
0: wife and everyone can agree on is that how wonderful it is that the national championship trophy for college football is back in Tuscaloosa where it
3: belongs. I can appreciate it, Dynasty, like anybody else, man. Congratulations. We talk about it. You all deserve it. I mean, that is, that is what, your 20th national championship in 15 years? Well, I mean, yeah. we claim all kinds of them.
0: But I had all kinds of things prepared in my head where I wanted to totally just destroy everyone who is a Tennessee volunteer fan that listens to this. I wanted to talk craft to all the Georgia fans that listen to this. I, I had so many fun things to talk about, but at the end of the day, I just – Thank the Lord that Nick Saban chose to come to the University of Alabama and that our athletic department continues to pay him outrageous sums of money. Yeah, the Lord is Nick Saban, so you can kill two birds with one stone there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We can move on before people just turn this off because they they know I'm just going to keep talking about
3: Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, getting into concrete. uh it's been awful weather up here in the Northeast, and Joey's been snowed in and iced in down south in Tennessee. But today it was forty-five degrees; might as well have been eighty. <laughs> I am outside in a long-sleeve T-shirt, just acting like it's May. So, uh, hopefully, that will curtail into pouring more concrete. I mean, I know it's a little wet in some places, but um, you know, when when the weather gets good, it gives you a feeling of being out on a job site is a little bit more attainable. On yeah, a regular we were completely basis. shut down. I mean, we haven't recorded this in a while. People don't know
0: snowed every weekend for like the last five weekends it's been yeah. incredible uh we had uh customer visits canceled uh projects getting delayed it just people just not pouring I just sorry there's snow and ice everywhere we're just gonna shut everything down every other day highly annoying uh, but even with that we've been pretty busy you know uh, one of the customers uh, that we were with this <laughs> was on the lab and we were making this concrete and Nothing was going right. Not a single thing went right. It didn't matter if it had gel in it or it didn't. The mixes were just all over the place. Air was all over the place. Slump was all over the place. Just something wasn't right. Something was weird. So started eliminating all these variables, getting in, and the the mix is still crazy. I'm talking two inch slump concrete with eleven percent air. Just the weirdest stuff you've ever seen. And they had one more ounce per hundred weight to high range thing blows out, um, you know, and we're messing around <laughs> and, and the, like the tech that was just doing like the air and making cylinders and stuff. Like he wasn't really paying attention cause he was doing other stuff while the, the, the mix master was like really making stuff. And he, the, you know, he brings the wheelbarrow full of just this terrible concrete. River. and the guys, you know, he measures the air and, and the, the head guy was like, all right, make cylinders. And he just sort of, <laughs> he was like, Seriously, what for? And he looked at me and he was like, "Is he serious? He wants cylinders made like this?" And, uh, and I was like, "I guess." And he goes, "God, this is like the worst concrete I've ever seen." And he stopped himself because he forgot like who I was that I was there as a guest, like yeah. trying a new product. And he like froze and he stands up and he goes, "I wasn't talking about your product, man. I, I swear, <laughs> dude. I'm sorry, dude." I was like, it's okay. My stuff's not in this concrete. This concrete's trash, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so funny. He just He looked like he'd seen a ghost. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, man, my bad. My bad.
3: <laughs> it was awesome. a terrible day of making concrete. That's awesome. What's the situation down around the Tennessee area where you are, Joey Bell? Is um, y'all can, I mean, the roads are fine and sun's out and everything's back to normal?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, we were snowed in all last week, like literally all last week. Uh, It started Sunday night and, you know, we had sleet and everything else. So we got a good dusting of ice everywhere starting Monday morning. Uh, Got another round. I think I I think we had sleet and ice like every night. So we had about an inch of solid ice. I mean, it was it was ice. I mean, people don't think people in other parts of the country don't think about that. Well, you know, they just see the white and they think it's snow, but like, no, dude, there's kids playing hockey in the street, you know, skating on ice. And they had video of that, you know, over in Franklin. I told you guys about that. So we had a bunch of ice and then it dumped a bunch of snow on us, I think Wednesday or in the middle of the week. So we had like four or five inches of snow on top of a couple inches of ice. And uh, the little back road that I live on, it never even saw a plow of any kind until Friday. And so once I got all that pushed off, you know, it helped melt it off a little bit and we could get out. And we got out uh, Saturday. I went camping Saturday night, actually. You know, we were able to get out and about. So it melted off the roads pretty quick once the sun popped out. But, man, it got rough. Like, we I had uh, had a lunch meeting with a couple, couple folks last week. It was like the third time we rescheduled it and uh, had to be a fourth time to reschedule it because nobody could leave their house, you know, either one of them's kids was you know out of school they had to be home with the kid or you know like me i just couldn't i literally couldn't leave my house i couldn't even set foot you know on the road out there
0: it was wild yeah you said uh no like no plow came to your street but that's because there are no plows yeah they, <laughs> they got one for the county i think right, right well i mean you wouldn't put in the budget because it never snows so why would you have a plow in the government state budget? That'd be a waste of money. But I tell you, who does have a lot of plows? That's the city of Philadelphia and greater Philadelphia area goes kind of spills into New Jersey. For those not familiar with uh, Pennsylvania, but spills into New Jersey, kind of hits the New Jersey Turnpike. And uh, one of our ready mix friends, the the Sylvie Group, uh, they actually attach uh, plows to the front of all their ready mix trucks when there's snowstorms, and they'll put hundred and fifty ready mix trucks out on the highway with plows and those dudes work 24 hours straight oh, man, man i'm just plowing the uh interstates with ready mix trucks
3: that's cool that's yeah. pretty slick yeah
0: yeah so if uh if anybody will see photos of that the uh the linkedin page for sylvie group s-i-l-v-i sylvie group uh, they got photos of those concrete trucks just plowing snow it's awesome i guess they're so heavy
2: they just i mean they just mash right through the snow. <laughs> That's pretty
0: crazy. And the plows are owned by the state. So mm-hmm. the state's got all the plows in a warehouse somewhere and, and they just let the Sylvie guys know, Hey, we need all your drivers. Uh, you yeah, they tell them where to go and where to park. And, uh, they show up and put, the, put the plows on the, uh, ready mix trucks for them. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. At the old job. We used to have snow removal
2: at Dulles. I've told you guys about that. And, uh, I think it was like 2010. They worked for 72 hours straight you know, because there was so much snow getting dumped on the, on the, uh, on the airport there. And they had these big giant snow melters. They were telling me they're basically just huge dumpsters or that's what they look like. They just look like huge, you know, rollaway dumpsters with heaters in them. And they would pick snow up with front end loaders and just dump it in the snow melters. And they would just, you know, shoot water out. Well, the snow melters couldn't keep up because there was just so much snow because, so they were literally uh, scooping snow up, and loading it into those big Terex trucks and they were hauling it off the airport and they would actually stockpile it like they would a giant, you know, pile of rock or sand or something. They just make a big mountain of it. They had a D eight and D six dozers just stockpiling snow because there's nowhere else to put it. And so they said it lasted for, I don't know how long that mountain of snow just sat there and melted, but it was like months afterwards that it was it finally left there but yeah they worked for 72 hours straight and they came and fed them every now and then nobody slept they just drank the hell out of coffee and five hour energies and red bulls and uh whatever whatever kinds of cigarettes that they could keep feeding those operators because they couldn't function without nicotine yeah it got pretty wild i missed that one thankfully
3: yeah that's wild. Uh, yeah that that snow mound i mean snow's a natural insulator so you get a hard packed mound of snow like that that thing will last till may mm-hmm. it's, it's dirty wild.
2: too there's never been a clean pile of snow <laughs> it <laughs> always looks like a pile of dirt
3: <laughs> well what about the what do you guys see in the world of concrete what's going on lately outside of our little world well i've I've been here for a while that uh
0: the flash guys have been trying to reclaim flash out of uh, out of waste ponds at the energy plants and uh, this is the first time i've actually seen somebody coming out and saying like yeah yeah we're doing it so separation technologies it's a company uh, down in virginia it's actually owned by titan and separation technologies like actually hooked up their equipment right to these waste ponds suck it out uh, they separate the good from the bad in the waste pond and they've actually been able to you know, create like 5 million tons of fly ash out of that thing. So the industry needs more sources of ash and it, it's, it's just less and less every single year. You know, we always hear the, that the end is nigh. And so how do they keep it going? Well, you know, going into these waste ponds is, is the next step and separation technologies figured it out. It's pretty cool to see. That is cool. Hmm. That is cool. Wow.
2: I found some slag uh, An article about some slag production They said slag cement shipment in the U.S. climbed 11.7% in 2020 versus the year before. Now, that sounds cool and all, but what I thought was really interesting, they've had double-digit percentage growth all the way back to 2016. Like, So they've increased production or they've increased slag shipment at least 10% since 2016 every year. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I was wondering to get your guys' thought on this. They use slag a lot in pavements and mass concrete. You know, they use it for, you know, the fight permeability, uh, flexural strength. There's a few, there's several benefits with using slag. So I was wondering, do you guys think it maybe have something to do with the economy? You know, with the boom we've seen in construction in the last four or five years and the use of slag and all these big projects?
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so concrete production's been going up 10% every year. Slag consumption's also been trending with concrete production. That's an interesting take. I didn't think about that, but yeah, it does. I mean, nobody's got any question anymore about whether slag, what it does or doesn't do, and if it's good. You know, it's just how much of it is there, and can you get it hauled to you at a decent rate?
3: Right. Right. It's a byproduct of the the steel manufacturing process. Yeah,
1: steel yeah, iron, yeah. yeah, Yeah, yeah,
0: yep. And the so the issue is usually just how much does it cost to ship it to?
3: You. Right. Yeah. Well, I would I would assume, especially internationally, there's more uh, available now than there used to be. Maybe it, it turns into a supply. I mean, because you have the eastern side of the globe that is in a pretty heavy industrial revolution right now. Um, relatively speaking and you know supply and demand if the if the supply goes up and they got all this slag i mean you know they'll make the price what it needs to be for the most part
0: yeah line same so, thing goes for smith i mean I don't, I don't think people have a, a real idea of how much smith gets imported into this country oh yeah, it's sure. absolutely unreal so uh, i figure slag would do the same thing yeah
2: yeah i remember we talked about it on the podcast about so much cement being imported over on the West coast from Asia. Uh, that was eye opening to me. I didn't know that. Uh, but it made sense because we make a lot of cement on, in the East, you know, we have more limestone and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it made sense to import cement over on the wet, over in the West coast. But another thing about slag too, you're we talking about it's a byproduct. So it qualifies, you know, probably for lead and for green projects, and if, uh, if you're winning more of those projects, maybe people are willing to pay that premium to bring it in here.
0: It, importing cement on the East Coast, they do it too. And, you know, whether it goes into the port of Texas or uh, comes up here into the Northeast, Turkey and Greece have basically been giving their cement away yeah. for a while. I was about to say, Greece has been known for the last couple of years to just give it away. Yeah. So <laughs> they've been bringing it in from there as well.
3: And it's an interesting point about, you know, byproducts and lead credits and all that stuff, that's only going to increase, I mean, with the current administration, with the way things have been trending even before then, I mean, you know, everyone's going to be trying to lower the carbon footprint, use recycled materials, you know, go after those lead credits. I mean, that's going to be more prevalent than ever. And I don't see that trend changing very often anymore. And we've talked about it on numerous episodes. I mean, heck, we, we figured out that you could put just about anything in concrete. (laughs) 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 Absolutely. Yeah. But including fibers. So uh, who we got on the show today is uh, Alec Yancey from FiberForce. FiberForce being a, a part of that umbrella under ABC Polymer Industries. And he gives us an education, hopefully our listeners, an education as well on fibers, all the different types of fibers, what they're made out of, where they come from, what they do, some common misconceptions about them, the importance of fiber guys. You know, the importance of having a guy that represents fibers and, you know, that's the sole purpose of of what he does that's his job having a guy like that on a job site that's utilizing fibers rather than just a, um, a more generic rep that also reps other things i mean having a fiber expert on the job site is pretty important especially for those 2 a.m pours where it's hard to get anybody else on the job site if they ain't got to be there it's for good reason <laughs> so <laughs> so without any further ado we're going to talk to elec here on episode 13 of the add 10 gallons concrete podcast
0: I really am interested man uh, thank you for real for joining us i hate this thing got pushed around like it did but we're finally getting this thing done and uh, for the people out there i want them to know you are a cim grad another uh, mtsu person coming on the podcast uh but i'm not real familiar with who you work for talk to us about uh, the industry you're in and the company you're working for
1: yeah so i'm in fiber reinforcement um the company that i work for is owned by abc polymer The branch that I'm with is called Fiber Force. We manufacture synthetic micro, macro fiber. Uh, We offer blends as well, Uh, steel fibers, type one, type five. Uh, It's all made in Helena, Alabama, synthetic wise. Steel fiber in the US, a large majority is going to be imported in from different parts of the world, Uh, Brazil, Eastern Europe, Russia, China, Turkey, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we manufacture here in Alabama, uh, Helena, just outside of Birmingham. And as far as the manufacturing capacity goes, we're actually uh, lesser known for a couple of reasons. As ABC Polymer used to be the the company name until we brand, rebranded with Fiber Force, but we're probably, if not the largest, the second largest fiber manufacturer in North America. We do uh, a lot of things with. ABC Polymer, a couple of different uh, business divisions. Um, fiber side started thirty years ago. Um, we were private labeling, manufacturing our own fiber uh, for different distributors throughout the U.S. and independent reps. Uh, about six years ago, seven years ago, uh, my manager Tim Hartzell got together with Randy Reed, the CEO, owner of ABC Polymer, and said, "Hey, if." You know we can we can make this something special and differentiate ourselves from other fiber suppliers, meaning your Grace, Master Builders, Euclid, Sika. a lot of them they offer fiber, but it's really a secondary product. Their main focus and high margins are in chemical. So if they're already in those uh, in the office face to face with those decision makers for the chemical. Most of the time, it's going to be the same decision maker for the Fiber. So we said, well, let's just bolt on this product, whether we make it ourselves or we're a third-party distributor um, and sell it because we're having those conversations anyways. So with Fiberforce, we branched off and said, okay, all we're we're going to do is Fiber. We're going to make it. We're going to have an engineering team. We're going to have a marketing team. We're going to have a sales team. And we're going to have um, people throughout the U.S., technical sales managers, uh, they're gonna be local feed on the street. You got a 1 a.m. pour, and it's an interesting mix. Uh, they have some concerns um, with whatever it may be. Uh, we can be there on the job, not just a phone call, uh, and just kind of eat, breathe, sleep fiber. The reason there's a a market for that model, a lot of times nothing against chemical guys, but fibers typically aren't their their sole focus. So if you get a phone call in, well, fibers aren't really my my realm, let me uh, write this down. I'll shoot an email up or give a call to our fiber guy, mm-hmm. and hopefully he'll get back to you. You know, Sometimes that's weeks or whatever days. Whereas with us, um, if we don't know the answer, then we can get you an answer within an hour. But right. I work with a really uh, well-versed team, so the the knowledge is there for the most part.
0: Yeah, I feel like... You know, you guys have way more technical service engineers than I ever thought a fiber a fiber company would have. Can Can you talk a little bit about your team? Because you just recently uh, got promoted. Congratulations! And so, talk a little bit about your team and and where y'all cover.
1: Yeah, so we have been growing quite a bit over the last five years, and uh, recently I used to have, uh, for instance, when I started, I had Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee. Helped out in Arkansas, uh, helped out in Louisiana some, um, and then as we grew, we added a guy down in Mississippi. So then I inherited Kentucky, had Tennessee and Alabama. Um, So on the Eastern team now, I manage the Eastern US and that contains uh, Rich, Jim, Jason, Ben, David, and myself. And uh, as we grow, we'll continue to, to add to the head count there with that we have an engineering team as well and we have um senior engineer in pennsylvania we have one in chattanooga um one at the home office uh, birmingham and then our director of engineering based out of uh georgia and then another guy that's going to be in reno he's on the team already but he's moving to reno and they're PEs, se's uh very knowledgeable. That's a big help as well, uh, kind of changing things up on how fibers used to be done in the past. So for instance, we did a job with, uh, Messer was a GC, Lithgow was the concrete. IMI had uh, the pretty supplier on that. And we actually redesigned the entire slab system and took ownership or responsibility for that slab. So when we go in and it's just a salesperson saying, hey, we want to, Redesign the reinforcement in this. It was double mat. No, it wasn't double mat. It was uh, number five, was 12 inches on center, eight inches thick. We came in with five and a half pounds of a macro fiber. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took a lot of back and forth with the engineer record based out of Seattle, Washington. But finally, just took us saying, hey, we're, you know, we're we'll redesign the slab system based off of performance needs. And uh, I think we put a stamp on it and the rest is history. So.
0: Dude, that's, that's stepping up. That's, I mean, that takes a lot of balls for a company to come in and say, we're going to take ownership of this slab and we're going to design it the way we want to design it. That's freaking awesome, man.
1: Yeah, it's uh, solely just, it's a great product, uh, good technology, but our engineering, our, our engineering team is awesome. So...
3: How rare is that? That situation where you you have a fiber company that's willing to s- literally stamp their name uh, next to a design and next to a slab. Is that how you kind of differentiate yourself in the fiber market, or is that fairly fairly common amongst your competition?
1: Um, it's not s- super common amongst the competition. Um, it isn't uh, just one of the arrows in our in our quiver, I guess. But uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with like the ductal cretes and the mega slabs they're coming out saying, Hey, we got a little mix. We got our Smurf juice. You're going to add it in. It's got fiber in it, but it's also got some other stuff.
0: Well, yeah. And their, their claim to fame is that they put a warranty on it and say this, this slab that doesn't need any joints, you know, not going to have any problems. Here's our warranty that to me, that's how they're really selling these projects. Is they're the only people out there with a, with a warranty.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what I always think about is uh, two things. Um, in, when we were in CIM, you know, so there's only there's only two guarantees in concrete, you know, it's going to get hard. and It's going to crack. And then I think of the Tommy boy, like the guarantees on the box. <laughs> so it's a it's a big, you know, it's making guarantees in the concrete world. I've always been taught that's a no, no. But if I'll never do you it. You come in and say, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look into those guarantees on some of those companies, it's not so much guaranteeing that it's not gonna crack it's it's some other fine print
0: i was just having this conversation two weeks ago with somebody who was trying to bid against a ductal slab and they were there's just no way they're like we can't get that low and he said look they're they really just want the the warranty on it and i was like really they're warranting concrete same same look joey bell just gave you a moment ago like what are they no way and uh the guy said i don't think they've ever paid out a single warranty they however much legal ease there is in those in that warranty contract if there's enough loopholes they've never they've
1: never. yeah that. I mean so many hands touch the concrete and, and materials and uh, it's uh, it's another conversation for sure but um, but yeah like I said it's it's just part of the reason why we, how we differentiate ourselves um, being family-owned made in the USA distribution wise moving it from Birmingham uh, it's pretty central for obviously the Southeast, but we have warehouses throughout the country. So as we make it and the need is there, we can fill up a warehouse, as opposed to one at a time, ordering shipping from the Birmingham area. Uh, but really, I would say that our success is really based off of uh, the vision of my upper management. Uh, Tim Hartzell being the, the VP, senior VP of sales and marketing, and then our owner, um, Randy Reed, CEO. They believe in the team and you know, if, if you need something done, they'll bend over backwards to help make that happen. And I think that's kind of the philosophy we have with the whole team throughout. So I've got a pickup truck, and there's been many times where I've driven down to Birmingham, picked up a pallet, and driven it to a job site um, for a last minute. Uh-oh, we need, we need this or that, or we ran out, or whatever the problem is. So it's kind of a can-do attitude. Um, you know, there's only about 10 technical sales managers across the U.S., so uh we kind of have to do everything we can to, to make sure everybody feels like they're getting that local presence
2: uh Ellic, i have a question uh you referred earlier in the conversation about you know having to be on site to fix any kind of problems associated with the mix or just whatever can you give an example of some of the problems you come across and how you address those you know being being a fiber guy
1: yeah absolutely um makes me think about saying that one of my sales managers get, uh, told me a while back is the biggest part of my job, especially being in fiber and probably similar for you guys too, is you need to learn how to manage your customers expectations. So I feel like that's all I do every day. Uh, you know, some people say, you know, that that concrete is going to be hairy and I say, well, you know, it might be, that's kind of nature of the beast there. Uh, so if you, if you can prepare for that, and educate them beforehand on what to expect um, be realistic about it uh try to under promise and over deliver um it's a good way to approach it but for those those night pours simple little things if it's a pump mix and it's clogging up on the grate, you know we have fiber that actually um Reduces the the pile up on the grate and if you use rounded grates, it'll help if you have a vibrator on the grate that helps Um, A lot of times it's this is just a nightmare I got to have a guy over here pushing the fiber through and you say okay. Here's an idea raise the chute eight 12 inches higher than what you're doing now because a lot of times I just lay the chute on it and it piles up comes up the chute so just that little tid you know tips like that and then as far as the finishing, placing, and finishing, sometimes depending on the the, the mix um, or the, the pounds per yard on a macrofiber mix, if you have five pounds per yard, that's gonna that's gonna hold that slump up a little bit more. So when your guys are getting on there finishing it, sometimes it will look like a false set or like an early set, but in their mind, they just you know they know concrete. That's all they do, and they say that concrete's ready to be finished, so they get on it. But in reality, you know, it's still, it's still green, you know, they could wait a little bit longer. So if they do get on there early and say it's a textured finish with like a broom, white broom finish, um, they go ahead and finish it. And that, that concrete still so plastic that when those bristles dig down in the paste, that cream, they brought up and it starts pulling up some hairs. Say, okay, guys, it looks like it's ready to be on, but if you are actually, you know, side by side, this slab without fiber, this side with fiber, you would still be waiting on the, the non-fiber concrete, you know, letting it bleed a little bit more, letting it set up a little bit more before it actually jumped on it. But because of that kind of false set look, they said just in their minds, whether they're looking at a clock or not, they got on on sooner than they, they otherwise would have. So what that does is there's just little, like I said before, little tips like, hey, you're actually, that concrete's a little wetter than it, than it looks, let it set up a little bit more because you're going to pull up more hair or more fiber through that paste so you know you wait 30 minutes 20 minutes whatever and what do you know it's it's less hairy but um that can be the same for you know if you have machines on it but uh, in all honesty (laughs) in all honesty uh being a fiber guy on a job site at 2 a.m it's oh my gosh you know our other fiber guy never did this or i've never seen a fiber guy on the job or you know, so it's kind of brownie points too, but
0: yeah, I, I just love that the fiber guy on the call here is is also calling it hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: one of the nicer things I've heard it called. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so so normally you know the the hair you're talking about those are the the little synthetic fibers, but we see some jobs that have. Uh, the bigger steel fibers that are that are L-shaped, or you get them that have like crimps in them, all kind of different shapes. Why on earth are there so many different shapes?
1: So in the U.S., you'll see type one, which is what you mentioned before, kind of looks like a hairpin with like a, a little bend in it. It's called hooked in. Um, they can have uh, FE, flat end, but typically you'll see a hooked in steel fiber. Some brands have a couple or, or a few hooks in it, and that's kind of a, a differentiator for them, you know. And then you'll have your Type 5 that looks like the crinkle-cut fries that you were talking about. And there's a Type 2, and they can have, like, the small – they have like a smaller, higher dosage rate typically. And Then you have, like, your Helix too, which is, like, a spiral twist. Yep. Doing, they're doing, like, walls, stuff like that. But, yeah, this, that's what you'll see still-wise in, in the U.S. You know, like, for elevated decks, the Type 5 – was uh, really popular for a long time. It's pretty interesting, it's 24 pounds per yard uh, is what they'll spec by the SDI Institute, um, Steel Deck Institute. And what we'll do with that is four pounds of a macro fiber or 24 pounds, it's actually 23 pounds of steel fiber with one one pound of like a monofilament microfiber. And a lot of people think that steel fiber's gonna finish poorly because it's steel and you know what if my i've got livestock and it's going to cut their feet up or i've got tires and it's going to pop the tires but the specific gravity of that steel fiber based in the mix it's gonna as you work it you know get pushed down into the paste so you can actually have a, a much cleaner looking slab with steel fiber uh, oftentimes contrary to what that farmer bob thought about getting his pig's feet cut off. <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's funny what you hear out there in the, in the in the in the market, but back to your question, there's uh different performances for each one of those fibers, and some engineers just like the type five, some like type one.
0: That's interesting. So, you know, you talk about old, old farmer Bob giving you that fee- <laughs> feedback. Yeah, man, I'm I'm real interested to hear like what's the craziest thing that you've seen on the job site, whether it's a one a.m. or... Or whether it's getting cussed out by the farmer Farmer Bob there what what is the wildest thing you've seen? Oh gosh,
1: um, I would say the most like shocking thing just because people just I'm I'm shocked how often someone knows fiber and then they they say something and you're just like you don't you don't know anything. <laughs> um, a couple things kind of came to mind. Nothing like the wife showed up chewing out a guy that you know boots thrown to the bed of somebody else. I've heard of, I've heard of those stories pretty often, uh, f- pretty entertaining for job sites. but uh, one time I was with the team down in I would just say south southeast, and we had a meeting with a uh, municipality and their um, inspectors, home inspectors. And in that area they would had to have little wire mesh in their residential slabs. And we were saying, well, you could replace that residential little wire mesh with a pound and a half of fibrillated fiber, save everybody time and money. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with little wire mesh on residential settings. It's never ever installed at the right depth of, you know, top, needs to be in the top third. It's laid on the gravel. <laughs> <laughs> it's laid on the gravel. So we were explaining this to this, t- this uh, you know room of, of inspectors and, and engineer and one of the guys kind of cut us short and said, "Listen, if we get rid of that welded wire mesh, then what's going to hold that vapor barrier there in place?" We we're <laughs> like, "Well, um, I mean, you know, the night before, if you know, a lot of guys just lay rocks down. You know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you here, buddy. But he didn't realize that he, that there's a there's a job for the welded wire mesh. He he thought that the job was to hold down the vapor barrier." And he's the, he's the ones over here checking off if it's installed correctly or, or supposedly. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of like eye opening. Like, oh my gosh! Like, I think I have job security because I can just go preach to you know inspectors about what materials are that they're approving or disapproving and what their actual job function is. That let's see, that was just kind of a shocker, kind of a, a sad, disappointing shocker.
0: It's funny you say that about the job security. So. Uh, you know you went to MTSU like Joey and me and got the concrete degree and Josh is on here And he's very very knowledgeable about concrete, uh, but he didn't get the degree and in this past years he's, he's actually excelled his knowledge quite a bit, right? And so we're working in the lab together he got a mix design from a guy and, uh, and And Josh called me and goes man. I, I can't be crazy here. He's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure this Guy at this concrete plant doesn't know how to do mixed designs. <laughs> and he was like, but he makes the concrete. He is their mixed design guy. And he was like, this is right. QC manager. QC manager. He goes, this doesn't look right. It was yielding out at like 29 cubic feet you know, per yard. <laughs> it was, the whole thing was messed up. And I was like, you need to very politely go back to him and <laughs> suggest that uh, we rework this a little bit. And, uh, you know, you realize it and, I, and I, it was a it was a, kind of a turning point for Josh. Joshua. OK, you know, I really do know what I'm talking about. And mm. not not everybody's out there as an expert just because they got a title next to their name.
1: That's so true. That's so true. When, when we hire new guys, um, typically they have concrete uh, knowledge, at least. But they're like, but I'm no fiber expert. And I'm like, well, after two weeks, you're going to know more than 90% of the people you talk to. And it will become apparent through those kind of conversations. I, went, I stopped by a plant in Florida one time and had a pretty good conversation with the guy. They've recently, they've been bought out since then. You know, he's like, I've been doing QC for this company for 30 years. Like, okay. Okay. This guy knows concrete. And he, he looked at me and like, got real serious. he looked leave me And he goes, but I'll tell you what, I know that, that fiber don't add no PSI to that concrete. And I was like, who told you it did <laughs> like, like you, you've you been doing it for 30 years, dude. <laughs> what? So I was kind of like, I kind of like politely just kind of ended the conversation. I was like, well, I'm going to just I'll catch you next time, buddy. Like, I'm not going to waste my time if he's been doing it for that long. And I'm, you know, the time I probably looked like I was 12. So
2: sometimes like, as much fun as it is to go to war, you still got to pick your battles,
1: pick your battles. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Oh, those are good. Hey,
0: I tell you what, we're 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 the first to admit we're not fiber experts, and that's why we got you on here, right? I mean, the fact that we knew each other is a bonus. But
1: uh, I'm learning fact, still. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, what, one of the terms that you throw out, and I just want to get clarification on, as you say, hey, it's a it's a macro fiber. Does that mean it's like two inches long or longer? What 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 is macro?
1: You'll you'll also hear structural fiber. Okay. And a lot of times people use that in place, um, in lieu of macro. It's not really a term I like to use, just because they say, "Well, it's structural, so it's well, let's replace that steel on that load-bearing wall."
0: Oh no, we're gonna and... get, we're gonna get to that in a minute. Don't don't get to that yet. <laughs> okay,
1: okay. So so I'm glad you said macro fiber. So don't say structural. You can, I guess, but um, so structural fiber or a macro fiber. I just said it. Uh, <laughs> they'll, they'll start at a three pound dosage rate minimum, typically. Uh, and then, you know, up to 10, 12 pounds. That's on the very high side. I guess technically, steel fiber is considered a macro fiber. And those dosage rates are, you'll see them from 11 to 200, you know, or more sometimes. But yeah, that's, that's all a macro fiber is, is uh, something that's going to be more of a post crack containment. Controlling different kinds of cracking whereas like a microfiber is for your your plastic shrinkage cracking and typically its benefits are a majority of the benefits are Take place within the first 24 hours Of that concrete moving from plastic to hardened concrete.
0: So so the term macro it does or, or doesn't describe the length of the fiber
1: Not necessarily um, you know, you're gonna see an inch and a half or, or greater for the most part with those macro fibers, but there's still some weird designs out there that have been copy and pasted and hard to read. And we've all seen those specs before that, you know, they're, they're so copy and pasted it's nasty. But I would say majority of the time, yeah.
0: Yeah, but but really the the term macro is should be synonymous with... Um, the strength characteristics, the flexural strength that it's probably uh, helping with, that kind of thing? Is that really the intention of the macro fiber?
1: Yes, the, the performance that it's trying to achieve.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Just the fact that it is bigger just helps fit with the name a little bit.
1: Yeah, and if you think about it, this might help distinguish in your mind. Um, if you had a pound of microfiber in your hand, it'd be you know, a pretty big bag. Whereas you know, three pound bag of a macro fiber fiber count is actually going to be much more times larger in just the one pound of the micro, so it's smaller. The denier's a lot thinner. So what I was saying about the fishing analogy, how how I explained it to guys is, you know, you're going to have like a, a tippet for fly fishing. This is like a really really thin high tensile string. Uh, And that's going to be like your micro, whereas if you looked under a microscope, the macro would look more like a 10-pound test for like bass fishing or something. So, again, they're trying to achieve uh, the same technology, but at the the size and the dosage rates, uh, you're going to be achieving different things at different parts of the concrete life. So macro fibers are going to be more hardened state of concrete where that performance is going to pick up.
3: Kind of, kind of moving off in a little bit different direction, but I mean, as we talk about how the technology of, really, the concrete industry, but specifically in this case, the fiber industry, it's kind of progressed rather quickly. If, I mean, just from from my viewpoint of things, can can you kind of elaborate on that? Like how fast the the technology is kind of changing and how your products change?
1: Yeah, um, they they used like horse hair and hay. And in their mud back, back in Rome and Greece and whatnot. So the technology, they, they knew something was was there. So they've been using it even in their, their mortars and whatnot. It's kind of neat. You'll see the Middle Eastern structures um, made of sandstone and whatnot. And over time, it's like blown away. But the mortar impression, like the, the mortar's still there in like a weird Lego looking formation. So, yeah, the, the technology's been around for a long time. And uh, you're right though, in the last 30, 40 years, they really started uh, to increase, I guess the the science behind it and, and understand it and, and create more performance fibers. So when I got out of school, um, soon after I was with Propex, which is fiber mesh, which was kind of like the Kleenex, everybody calls it fiber mesh still, uh, kind of like the Kleenex brand for the, the industry. and they had their, their one-pound dosage rate mono, um, fiber mesh 150, and their fibrillated fiber, pound and a half, for, like, residential applications, uh, fiber, fiber mesh 300. And for the longest time, that's what, that's what the fiber was, you know. And then we started getting into higher performance, replacing rebar, you know, increasing the longevity of the concrete. Ch- you know, steel fiber's been around for a long time. But uh, we, we've introduced a couple kind of game changers for the industry um, with our fiber force 750. To answer your question from before, micros and macros at the same dosage, or at the, not the same dosage, but in the same mix. So some fibers, um, instead of having two different fibers specified, we, would, we just created like a 750 that has a blend of two different type, type of fiber technologies. And it's the best of both worlds for great finish by shrinkage cracking, but also controlling those cracks once they do occur.
2: What are some of the more innovative materials you guys are using to make fibers now? And what does the future hold for fiber materials? Is there anything like super unique that we plan on making fibers with uh, from here on out?
1: Yeah, I think uh, back in the day, like a long time ago, like in the fifties, they were using asbestos like they did with everything else. Uh, A lot of the specifications, if you read the fiber section, it's going to require um, virgin polypropylene fiber. So I don't know if you've been following that or if it's affected your, your products at all, but like the resins have gone through the roof, like since May of last year, it is pretty insane right now just because of some factories being shut down shipping worldwide shipping container shortage.
0: Oh and, yeah. You know, oh man. Was- <laughs> it's, it's upset our whole widget. Legit- I they have more meetings on that. You don't even want to know. We say we stay as far away from that problem as humanly possible. That's why we have logistics people.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's affecting us. It's, you know, who would have thought it would be affecting us? But uh, you know, it's it's been a big, big pain. Um, usually, it's more of a stable market. It doesn't follow the trends up and down volatility of like petroleum, but. It is growing and it is through the roof right now. So we make all of our uh, synthetics from virgin polypropylene for uh, a couple of reasons, mainly because a lot of the specifications are requiring virgin polypropylene, but you'll see, you know, there's different types of fiber, like a cellulose, which is a wood pulp. Um, you know, you'll have your steels, some stainless steels, um, and then polypropylene.
0: When you say your virgin polypropylene, you mean like rather than a recycled material?
1: That Correct. Yeah. And that's for like quality reasons, really.
0: Well, you know, you're not the only market that's been getting hit by the, the pricing because of the factory shut down. Uh, the additive market is going to get hit with that. Not all the additives, but some of the additives, especially some of the accelerators. Uh, it turns out, we talked about it on one of our previous podcasts. It turns out that uh, one of the chemicals, one of the main chemicals used in COVID-19 tests is the same chemical that's used in set accelerators for the concrete industry. So the availability of that chemical is is not high. And if you can get it, uh, it's very expensive
1: at the moment. Wow, that sucks. Yeah, i heard that the, like, a lot of the sealers, guys like that, they're getting crushed too. Unreal, man.
0: Unreal. What about you guys? Y'all been safe from COVID? Is it, has it hit you guys hard personally? How's that going for y'all?
1: Oh, gosh. Actually, one of my uh, one of our VPs at, on the ABC uh, Polymer side, he has it right now. But, you know, we kind of hunker down. You, we let everybody use their own discretion as far as getting out face-to-face. You know, I got kind of bored after a couple months. So I've, I've been traveling around, doing some trips with my customers and whatnot anyways, despite of it. But, yeah, you know, there's different customers. Um, like my guy up north in Indiana a lot of his places are shut down, you know, no, no outside vendors allowed. And then you get down to Alabama and it's like, what COVID, you know, I was listening to <laughs> one of your podcasts from, from the past. And, and I think y'all are saying like Florida didn't like, they were scolding you for like wearing a mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Florida
3: Florida's a wild place, man.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I went to the Kentucky concrete association um, winter meeting down in Naples uh, in November, and it, I was blown away. Like like you all said, I saw more people. Like I saw very little, you know, actual masks. It was, it was interesting.
0: It was phenomenal. But so it's interesting to hear you say that. And so, you know, one of the things we struggled with in the last year was not being able to get face to face with with our new clients. Was Was there anything that you did uh, to overcome that challenge and? and get face-to-face with some guys to help you drive new sales.
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, our, our CEO and, and manager and, and VP, they told everybody off the bat, hey, guys, you know, y'all have families to, to worry about. You know, it's not, you know, you don't live to work. So be, be comfortable in what you do. So some people kind of stayed in more. And then others, if there was a customer that was willing to meet, we would go. And like I mentioned before, my sales team, the sales team that we, we have here, um, they're rock stars. So they're they're more of a, you got to pull the reins back opposed to slap, slap it in the butt to get them going, you know, because uh, they're already fired up. So, uh, you know, if there were customers out there willing to meet, the sales team was, they were out there, you know, knocking on doors or, trying to meet new people or going so we stayed pretty busy I mean the the, looking at the sales numbers year over year the sales call numbers I'm sorry uh, the calls were down a little bit but not nearly as much as you know some places um, some industries that are just we're doing everything from the computer well when you're trying to talk to 60 year old concrete finisher he has a flip phone, buddy, so good luck getting him on a Zoom call, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, got a today had a flip phone, actually. Um, yeah, they're but, still out there. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it was the same struggle for us, man. Uh, and, you know, for me and Josh, we're up in the Northeast, and everything was locked down. I mean, we already ignored no soliciting signs as it was, you know, <laughs> you just walk right past them. But now with the COVID, man, they had like robots in the foyer to scan. It, it was crazy. Couldn't get anywhere. It was, Gosh. it was, you know, I w- we weren't as lucky as you. We weren't working in Florida every day uh, where they don't have any masks.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the, the people up our way, if they ever needed an excuse to tell you to go kick rocks, now they actually have one, and they, they use it. They wield that thing like it's a magical power. It's like, no, we can't let you in the door. COVID, you'll kill us all. Gotta go. No. Yeah, just leave your stuff in a box by the door. We'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you never get a call back. <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: <laughs> I mean that's not that's not all places, but there are some places taking full advantage of the fact that they can tell you to about face and get out of here. But
0: so you know. so when I, when we were in the concrete program together uh, back at MTSU, you know I don't I don't remember learning a lot about fiber in the textbooks really, um, but. I do you I worked with them in the lab there I remember personally I, I was doing some stuff and we got some are you are you involved at all with the CIM program now to, to maybe get some more fiber knowledge to the youngsters
1: yeah so I'm on the board of patrons there now and had good conversations with uh, uh, John Huddleston who's running the program and you know he's he's invited me down well after covid to you know give a 101 class um, some, some fiber basics and whatnot. Cause you're right. When we were there, I think we had two classes that touched on fibers one or two times each. And it was just list a type of reinforcement for concrete type thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had no clue. Um, when I got into the fiber world, what I was, you know, everybody, nobody knows what they're doing when they're starting out, you know, <laughs> like, I I, selling, I sold a concrete ready mix. I sold ready mix for a few months. Out of college and Gosh, I did not know Anything (laughs) But I learned a lot Um, So yeah, we've we've Discussed that and they want to add that In and make it Maybe come down a couple times a semester And do some um, Training in the lab We've donated fiber for the canoe And fiber for little projects here and there Um, Just to let them know That it is a, a big industry and it's growing You know, so what our job is, is to just educate. I mean, I could have a full-time job just educating people and people that know fiber and re-educating them. Uh, So there's never going to be an end of the road in in that part of my world.
0: I mean, you're educating us today. We, we know, we know concrete. So, and you're educating us, right? So uh, it is, I think this podcast will help a lot of people that, that listen in and they learn you know what the heck is a macro fiber and you know what are, why are we using steel fibers and you know it's time about bringing it back into the university but there are universities and from an engineering standpoint that are evaluating fibers and the big uh thing that makes the headlines is uh, they're claiming that they can eliminate steel reinforcement even in like skyscrapers and stuff so uh, from 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 a knucklehead like me i think about taking those steel bars out especially out of a wall and that scares me to, to death so uh you may you may come from a biased point but i think you'll come from a very knowledgeable point here please educate me on what in the world is going on where people are trying to eliminate all the steel in these buildings and replace them with little fibers
1: yeah no um we actually get that asked a lot hey, look, here's a spec, here's a wall, here's, you know, some rebar, can you replace it? So not everybody, some, some companies will say, like some steel fiber companies will say, yeah, we'll, we'll replace the, the steel, the vertical steel in those walls. That is nothing that we want to, or my engineering team wants to do. We do not want to have, we don't, we'll have a conversation but we're not going to look at it and say, yeah, let's replace that steel, that load bearing steel with, you know, fiber, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. These sheer walls they want to take it out of the shear walls. Uh, this is crazy land.
1: Well, you know, I, I know the company you're talking about and they have, you know, good, you know, they have smart people on their team. It's just, if I'm standing beside a wall or I'm in a building, I want that, I want there to be continuous steel holding up that uh, that wall, Um, but you know the the fact of the matter is there's so so much opportunity for for flat work paving, you know slab on grade, high performance, whatever, just flat work that I can chase and that the whole team can chase, while waste time on a on a very time absorbing engineering you know, resource-consuming vertical wall or, you know, wall or column or whatever with less yardage than a slab on, like a not-sexy slab-on grade for a warehouse. So it's kind of like, you know, 80-20 rule. (laughs) I'm going to spend 80% of my time on these 20% of these applications that are going to pay out. So, again, good for them if that's what they want to do. Our team will kind of answer the same way that question is you know what you go ahead and chase that we're gonna we're gonna go back to the whales and, and chase the whales <laughs> or just the lower hanging fruit you know that's it's not we don't have to worry about people's lives with walls <laughs> so I don't know if I answer that the way you wanted me to but no, no
0: you did no selfishly that's exactly how I wanted it answered because I feel better now because I, I i really thought i was losing my mind (laughs) i was like what are we what are we doing here what am i missing and i would read the articles and i was like i still don't get it and i was really hoping you were gonna have an answer and you you basically said what i said like i don't think that's the route i want to go
1: yeah hey i don't i don't have a phd and i don't work for that company but if they stand behind it they stand behind it
0: yes sir well man you've you've taught us a lot tonight uh Really appreciate your time. Uh, before we sign off, I'd, I'd like to give uh, Josh a chance. Josh, did you have any other questions for Alec that we didn't touch on?
3: No, no, no. I, uh, I asked my uh, my questions that I wanted to get in uh, a little while ago and all the other stuff that I was curious about. He, he um, kind of touched on everything throughout the, the course of the interview. It was super informative and, and really interesting. I appreciate your time.
1: Guys, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hope I wasn't too boring. Um, you know, it's my, my wife's friends ask me what I do, and I'm like, I swear it's not as boring as it sounds.
3: <laughs> it's hey, actually Mike, pretty we, fun. we all share that sentiment, man. We, <laughs> we all share that. I'm pretty sure my family still doesn't know what I do. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah. Not I'm 100%. pretty sure mine thinks I sell, like, concrete. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in South Dakota. Are you selling concrete up there? Yeah. I'm in Louisville. Are you selling concrete? I'm like, no, that's not how concrete works. <laughs>
2: yeah, I get that too. Like your friends are like, what kind of deal
0: can you get me on some concrete? I'm like, no, it's no. <laughs> the worst is can you come over here and pour me some concrete and make it look. <laughs> yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. What about Joe? You got any, uh, anything for Alec that we didn't touch on?
2: No, Alec. We've been fortunate to have some interesting guests on here with pretty unique, you know, uh, backgrounds and, you know, and jobs and everything else, and you're one of them. So appreciate you,
1: guys. I can't say thank you enough. I've had a good time. Nice meeting you. And uh next time you're in Nashville area, hit me up.
0: Yeah, we will. We will do, man, for sure. Absolutely. All right, thanks, guys. All right, Alex. Take care, man. Thanks so much. See you
3: and that's gonna do it on behalf of paul joey and i thank you guys for listening in to episode 13 of the add 10 gallons concrete podcast also big thanks to elec for being on we appreciate his time and all the uh wisdom and information that he was able to share here during the podcast be sure to hit us up on social media we have a add 10 gallons facebook page and instagram page where we clip out uh different audio clips we promote the next episode and we post all kind of fun stuff from the road and stuff that we do on a daily basis um, to add another element here to the show. So look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Also, uh, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast, and tell a friend about us. And we hope to see you back here for episode 14 coming soon.